Good morning. Nothing like coming back on the first Sunday and grabbing the microphone, right? <laughs> Here we go. So for those of you I haven't met, my name is Mary Martin. And I know a lot of faces here, and there's some I'm looking forward to meeting. So, welcome to Southside. Uh, I wanted to tell you first about a dream I had somewhere in like May or June. It was so strange because it was weeks before Andrew mentioned that would I like to take one of these weeks and share about Philemon. And uh, <clears throat> the dream was that they had in fact asked me to, to give the message but I was sitting over there at a table, madly making notes while the worship band was playing, and I hadn't planned anything. It was not a dream. It was a nightmare. And, um, and in my dream, Ian came over, because he must have noticed my angst, and said, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not. I don't know what I'm going to say. I've had no time. And so he said, as the professional, would you like me to speak? And I said, yes, please. So... Thankfully, I wasn't over there this morning just jotting down some notes. <clears throat> yeah, if you've been here in the last few weeks, and you may have heard Andrew or Ian say that um, they were loosely following an, a study that I did on Philemon, and, and it was really pretty thin outlines, so I thought they were really having to try to guess what I was thinking. That would be a tall task. I don't think my husband, Dean, even attempts that. So, gentlemen, you did a great job. You went beyond, absolutely beyond. When I was in the fourth grade, my teacher, named Mrs. Smiley, did not like to smile. She welcomed everybody into the classroom that year and said, everybody pick your partner, and she had the desks in groups of two. Everybody pick who you'd like to sit with, except for me. And me, she ushered over to sit with a girl who struggled to find friends. So we were seatmates, and we got along fine, we did, but you know, you can't really force friendships, can you? It's, uh, I mean, we got along okay, but we didn't become best friends that year. Relationships, healthy relationships, require freedom in order to succeed, don't they? Today we're going to look at three people from the first century church, the relationships among them, and the choices they had in responding to a situation that was in need of correction. In this letter from Paul to Philemon, we will look at the dynamics between Paul, a believer, and a prisoner, Philemon, a believer, and a slave owner, and Onesimus, a believer, and a runaway slave. So what they all had in common is that they were all followers of Jesus at the time of this letter. <clears throat> I thought rather than reading the letter once more, I will just summarize it, but if you want to look on your phone, you can probably read it in the time I summarize it. It's very short, and it's at the back of your Bible, so <clears throat> if you want to hunt for it. Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome, some think maybe Ephesus, we're not sure, to Philemon, a man who became a follower of Jesus through Paul. So Paul was like his spiritual father. Philemon is a man of some means, and we know that because he owns slaves. So that would have put him in a bit of a, um, a wealthier social standing. He also hosted the church, or at least one gathering of the church, in Colossae. So he would have had to have a home that was large enough to accommodate uh, a number of people. So that was further evidence that he had some pretty good social standing in the community. 
<clears throat> Philemon has a slave named Onesimus, and for some reason, although we're not told exactly what it is, they've had something happen, and Philemon, uh, sorry, Onesimus has run away. Um, in that, he comes across Paul, either by intent or by accident, and through Paul, he becomes a follower of Jesus. So now we have Paul, a spiritual father of Philemon, and Paul, a spiritual father of Onesimus. <clears throat> but Paul is sending um, Onesimus back to Philemon because he needs to, they need to reconcile this situation. I mean, you don't run away and just have no issues. There was going to be issues. So he's sending him back, but he has written this letter in hopes of paving the way for them to be reconciled. Um, Onesimus himself was going to take this letter. So that's where we start with this, um, this letter this morning. <clears throat> because the men in conflict were all believers, there was the potential of this issue being resolved in a way that did not look like the culture around them. In the first century, a runaway slave who was returned to his master under the law could be beaten and even killed. But becoming a believer, a follower of Jesus, should change us, right? And Philemon's a believer. So it should change the way we think, the way we talk, the way we act, and that's what we're hoping for, for Onesimus' sake. N.T. Wright said of this letter, it is a window on a whole new world and takes us to the heart of what it might mean to be a part of the family of the Messiah. So this will be different. It won't look like the culture around them. So what we see is these three men all have some choices to make. Paul's choices are evident to us. They are seen because he's the author of the letter and we hear his voice in it. Onesimus's choices can be assumed, and then Philemon's choices, we don't know exactly what they might be. So they're unseen. To begin with, um, Paul, I see that Paul chose to yield his spiritual authority over Philemon. In most of the letters that Paul wrote to churches and even to some individuals, he started Paul, an apostle. And that gave him authority when what he was going to say, it lent weight to his words, if he was going to instruct people or correct them. In this more personal letter, he starts out, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's quite a different way to introduce yourself, isn't it? Later in the letter, he says, an old man and a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So he repeats it again. And I think in this, He's lowering himself to the level of Onesimus, right? Onesimus does not have freedom. And Paul's saying, and I don't have freedom. So he's sort of equalizing their status before Philemon. He also says in verse 17, welcome him, Onesimus, as you would welcome me. So he's putting himself at the same level and Onesimus at the same level as as he, he, Paul. He also chooses to yield the comfort that Onesimus uh, 
was giving him in serving him while he was in prison. In first century Roman prisons, uh, they gave them apparently just a little bit of food. And so prisoners depended on family and friends to bring them food and other things they might need. And so Onesimus had served that purpose for him. He was really uh, helpful. And we could read in this letter that there was a fondness between Paul and Onesimus. So in sending him back, Paul is choosing to yield that comfort that Onesimus is giving him. Also, which is a bit of a side note, but if you kept a slave that had run away from someone else in those days, it was tantamount to stealing, right? Because a slave represented a certain amount of work within a household, an employee who doesn't have permission to leave. So, you know, whatever that body of work was that he did, it would be missed. It would need to be covered by someone else. And so Paul rightly says, you need to go back and make this right with Philemon. He, he may have been tempted. He says so even, I think, um, he, that he didn't want to send him back, but he knew that was the right thing to do, both under the law and within the family of believers. And finally, Paul chooses to yield his control over Philemon's response. Um, he says in verses 8 and 9, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Well, we know there were many times that Paul was bold. So the fact that he says, I could be bold and order you to do what is right shows that he's yielding that opportunity to give commands. Um, he also says in verse 14, I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that in any favor you would do would not seem forced, but voluntary. So those are Paul's choices that we read quite clearly in this letter. Onesimus's choices, as I said, were really, we can assume them. Um, <clears throat> the first one is that Onesimus obviously chose to honor what Paul asked him to do. Um, I'm sure when they met and then Paul was giving him the gospel and Onesimus became a believer, a follower of Jesus, that then I'm sure the conversation went around to, and why are you here? And what's brought you here? And as that unfolded, that part of the story unfolded, um, Paul says, yeah, you've, you've got to go back. You've got to make this right. Um, and Onesimus has clearly agreed because he's going to be the one carrying this letter back. Now, Paul was in prison, so Onesimus could have, done, could have given lip service to that agreement, right? Then he could have booted it and gone the other direction. Paul couldn't go after him and yank him back and drag him to Philemon. So we see that this was a choice that Onesimus made to cooperate in attempting to reconcile the difficulty with Philemon. He also made the choice to trust Philemon with Philemon's response. We don't know how, what precipitated his running away exactly. So we don't know if Philemon was already angry when he ran away, and maybe Onesimus is thinking, is he gonna be very angry when I get back? Um, <clears throat> as I said, they, they, under the law, they could have beaten a slave, even for less, few, you know, a lesser crime than running away. Um, they could put them to death. Um, I was thinking, well, even Philemon could have said, yeah, I'm not going to do that, but you're going to do some hard labor. You know, I'm going to make life more difficult for you. So Onesimus had no promise that this was going to end well for him. He, he goes back. He chooses to go back 
and trust Philemon's response. Philemon then has um, choices, and they're unseen. We don't know uh, through this letter exactly what he decided to do, but his first choice would have been then to receive the suggestion or advice that Paul is giving to forgive Onesimus. That's kind of as far as Paul goes in clear terms um, with this letter. Although I, I do love that he writes, uh, it's verse 19, Paul says, you owe me your very self. <laughs> I mean, I'm asking you to do this little thing, but you owe me your very self. So it's a little bit of a power, power move there. Um, and it was, it was up to Philemon to decide what he would do. Um, he also had the choice to yield his rights as a slave owner. Um, as I say, Paul really was asking him to forgive him, but then he also adds this, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do more than I ask, even more than I ask, which I think feels like a hint of, why don't you just free him? Why don't you set him free? Um, extra biblical literature records that, in fact, Philemon did set Onesimus free, and I'm going to buy into that one because it feels good to know that that's how that ended. Um, <clears throat> I thought it was interesting, too, in verse 21 when he says, confident of your obedience. I thought, obedience to who? Because Paul didn't give him an order. He resisted giving him an order, so he's not obeying Paul. And I think it's that we can assume he was implying your obedience to Jesus Christ, to being a follower of Jesus. That's really who you're obeying in doing this. And finally, that Philemon would have the choice to exchange his primary identity or his standing in the community for humble, ground-leveling identity as a Jesus follower. Um, I pictured that perhaps the first century Tim Hortons gathered, you know, in the coming days after this, uh, after Onesimus returned, and we're going to say that then he was freed. And you can picture that the gossip was going around, and they said, uh, oh, did you hear Philemon's slave came back? Oh, yeah, I did hear that. What did he do to him? He set him free. He did what? He set him free. And this would be among people in his position, but not followers of Jesus, thinking, what are you doing? That, like, that just flips the whole order of things, right? That isn't what we do with a runaway slave. And I like to think that perhaps that would have created curiosity and interest in finding out more about this community of believers that Philemon was uh, a part of. So those are the choices that those men made, or we think they might have made, um, and then we ask ourselves, what does this letter have to say to us today in 2023? Well, these men were all followers of Jesus, but there was a relationship among them that needed repair. So we could say that this maps out the way that those of us who are followers of Jesus should handle conflicts with other believers. Um, imagine that I had a friend who is not a follower of Jesus and I walk with her once a week, and as we walk, I'm telling her, oh, you know, and then there's this problem at church, and these two people don't get along, and that person was supposed to do this, and they didn't show up, and and I'm being all negative. 
Um, and then on another given day, I say to her, oh, would you like to come to church? <laughs> Pretty sure she'd say, mm, well, thanks. I have enough conflict in my own life. I don't need to add on. So it's our responsibility. It's not an option. It's a responsibility for those of us who are followers of Jesus to work out our differences in a way that creates a healthy environment here. So when we invite people in, they come and they see people not perfect, because we'll never get there, but people who truly know how to care for one another, who when they disagree, they work it out, um, they meet one another's needs, they treat one another um, with grace and kindness and love, that would be compelling to someone who doesn't know Jesus. And you might be wondering, well, shouldn't we handle all relationships like this? Absolutely, we should. But I think it really is important to start here. It's really important that we who call ourselves Christians are, are dealing with our relationships and keeping those accounts really short. Um, I had the verse in here. Jesus said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I noticed we just sang that in the last song. Perhaps as we have looked at this letter, a relationship came to mind, maybe a name popped into your head, and you're thinking, yeah, I think maybe I'm supposed to take some action on that. Maybe. Maybe you are in the place of Philemon, and you have someone to forgive. Maybe you're someone in the place of Onesimus, and you need to ask forgiveness for something. And it may be anything up and down that whole scale, but it's just a relationship you know needs to be adjusted somehow, maybe even only within your own heart. That was true for me. I, a name came to my mind, so I was like, yeah, I need to work on that. I need to take care of that. And it's somebody who lives far away, so it's nobody in here. <laughs> um, and I think it's just easy sometimes to shut that out, like unforgiveness or some kind of bitterness, uh, you know, unresolved conflicts. They're kind of invisible in a way, right? So we can sort of, I can't look at you and say, I know you've got a problem with that person. It's, it's in our hearts, it's in our minds. So it's something that um, we can kind of shove down and cover over and not really deal with it. But as I spent some time in this, um, I felt more and more convicted. It's really important. This is a really important piece of working out our salvation every day, that we need to work on um, relationships that are broken. Um, and I, I wrote in here, like, I don't want anyone to leave this morning feeling guilty or heavy. It's not about that. But let's face into it. Let's tackle it. Let's do something about it. Um, I had a relationship I'll share with you if it's an encouragement to anybody and this is years ago now and it was a very broken relationship and I had done my human best to repair it and it wasn't working you know I kept pushing at it and trying to do what I could and I had a wise older woman a mentor to me at the time who said Mary just leave it just leave it for a little while I thought okay I'll leave it and you know, in the space of that next year or two or three, I convinced myself, 
you know, I don't think I have anything to apologize for in this relationship <laughs> breakup. I think I'll just wait for her to come to me and apologize and ask my forgiveness. You know, I could convince myself, I think I've tried everything and there's nothing, nothing left in my account. No, I think I'm waiting for her. And then I went to hear Anne Graham Lotz speak. And I can't tell you what she was talking about and I can't tell you what she said, but wow, boom. It just hit me and I went, oh, oh, yes I do. Yes, I do have something to apologize for and someone I needed to ask her to forgive me for something. And you know, when you already kind of think you're the one, you're the victim in it, you know, and then you find the Lord saying, no, you have something to apologize for in this too. It's kind of like eating sawdust <laughs> to write that apology. You're like, Ugh, it's just not pleasant. And it, this isn't every situation I'm in, absolutely not. I don't want you to think that, but in that case, I obeyed and I wrote the letter. And I just want to encourage you in this too. It wasn't an overnight healing, right? She received the letter, got a little bit of response back, and then little by little, and over another few years, that relationship was repaired. And today, it's a warm and very loving friendship. It really is. So this works. <laughs> it really does. It's not always easy, but it works. Um, one of the best examples I could think of of this kind of reconciliation, of this kind of for forgiveness, came to mind because I had read the book The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. And if you've never read it, it's a, it's a powerful read. I believe there was a movie made, and they only put it in the theaters like two days this summer or something. Anyway, I missed it, but I don't know where the movie is now, but if you could catch it, I'm sure it's great. So I'm going to read just this excerpt from The Hiding Place. I'm going to try to get through it without crying because it kind of wrecks me every time. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp against the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. <laughs> I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, his hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there, 
I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds he stood there, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior message, a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's quite a, quite a result, isn't it? I don't want to minimize anyone here who has, uh, anyone's pain here who has a really big issue to work through because, I mean, um, it, some will take some time with the Lord to resolve and some may take conversations and tears and maybe even someone to help you, but I do believe that this is on the other side of making that reconciliation, that we will never know God's love quite as intensely as when we have worked through something that, like that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for what your word can teach us about how to conduct our relationships, especially with others in the family of faith. Jesus, you chose humility and submission from the cross when you said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. You demonstrated unbelievable love for us in that. We want to display humility and love for one another in a way that draws others into an eternal relationship with you. Make us sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit where we have some work to do in repairing a relationship, either in forgiving or in asking for forgiveness. Help us to choose the right response that results in reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen.